0: Well, good morning, church. As I was thinking about this morning, um, September 11th of 1988 was the day that my father was shot and killed and has always been a challenging day for my family. And then I think of September 11th of 2001, and it's always been a challenging day for our country. And then I think, as uh, as Tess was praying, of all the events that have happened and in, in and around us in these past few months, and and I find that hope hope comes from this book right here called the Bible. And in this book, we find our hope, and we find the promises of God, and we find that uh, there's a God that loves us, and there's a God that promises to be with us even in the midst of the most challenging and difficult times of our lives. That he says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will never walk away from you. And so this morning, as we think back on history, and as we think of even back as recently as the past couple days, and I just want us to go in, in prayer. And would you just bow your heads with me. Father God, I do thank you. God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you that in your word that there is one promise after another. A promise that you will never leave us. A promise that you are always next to us. A promise that you will turn evil into good. A promise that you will always love us. That forgiveness is always available to us. God, there is just so many good promises that gives us the strength and the courage and the energy we need to live another day. So God, we celebrate your promises this morning. God, we celebrate your word and we pray that as we open up your word that you would reveal to us exactly what it is that you have for us today. God, that you would, you would remove the scales from our eyes. God, you would unplug our ears and you would soften our hearts so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today as we uh, um, kick off 40 Days in the Word, that's our series that we're jumping into, and, and today marks the beginning. It marks the beginning of 40 days of discovering how to love the Word, how to learn the Word, and how to live the Word and I don't know if you've thought about it much or if you have realized, but we live in a world that is very anemic to the scriptures, a, word that does, a world that doesn't know uh, the Bible, that oftentimes you ask someone to turn to a book in the Bible and they'll be like, is that, where is that? And, and, and we don't read the word of God often enough. And so I feel like this series that we're in is a very important series for us that we would learn to love the Word of God, that we would learn to want, we'd have this desire within us to get into the Word of God on a daily basis, that we wouldn't only love it, but that we'd learn how learn the Word of God, that we would find ways to understand what we're reading, because I hear so often, more times than not, what I hear is people say, uh, Pastor, I would read the Bible more if I just understood what it said. And so we would learn some tips or some tools to help us to discover what the word is saying to us. And then finally, and most importantly, we would learn to live the word, that we would live it out in our daily uh, lives. And so I can't stress enough to you that how important this next 40 days is, that as we take a dive into the 40 days and the word, that, that I believe that this could impact your life. Because here's what I know. I know that the word of God changes lives. And so if we as a church get in, uh, or are impacted by the word of God, it will change us. And, and I can't stress enough that at the heart of 40 days in the word, that at the heart of this uh, next 40 days is going to be what we do in our small groups. That our small groups are key. Getting involved in a warehouse group is key to understanding what it means to live in the word to love the word and to learn the word and so rick warren is going to be teaching us in our small groups how to unlock the power of the word of god for ourselves and, and i want you to know that if you're not in a small group if you didn't sign up it's not too late it's not too late to join us on sunday night or wednesday nights at six thirty and to get into the word of god together with other people and, and we've said this so many times around here that we believe that uh, transformation best, best takes place in circles rather than rows. And there's something about gathering together with a group of people and studying the word of God together that is just so powerful and transforming. And so I just want, to, I want you to know that it's never too late to get into a small group and and you can even as you leave today if you didn't sign up to be in a small group just go to the next steps area say hey i didn't sign up but i want to be a part of what's happening in the 40 days in the word i want to be a part of this small group thing and they'll get you signed up and the, i think the second component or the second most powerful part of our next 40 days of 40 days in the word is uh, is daily videos and starting this thursday there will be a post on our uh, Prayers and Announcements Facebook page. There will be a post of a video uh, of a daily devotion to kind of help you get into the Word, to kind of help you focus and center on the day. And so every, every morning at 6.30 a.m., I'll post a video for you. And, and, and they'll just be about seven-minute long uh, daily devotionals that will help you to stay focused on the 40 days and the Word. And so this is a huge part. So I encourage you, if you're not a Facebook fan, just sign up for just this, this 40 days. And so that you can get these videos and so that you can walk alongside of us and be in the daily devotions together starting on Thursday. And then I think the third part uh, of, this, um, the, of this series that's really going to be helpful are these six weekend messages that we're going to give. That for the next six weeks, we're going to dive into the 40 Days in the Word, and, and I hope that you'll be here. I hope that you'll make a commitment to being here over the next six weeks uh, and, and to explore the importance the importance of God's Word in our lives. And so it's going to be so exciting. I'm I'm excited. I really am about spending the next 40 days in the Word with you. And and, uh, and as I thought about it uh, this week, and I was like, man, what will it be like? What will it be like for, for 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 people all studying the Word of God and all getting in the Word of God and learning how to live the Word and love the Word and, and learn it together and what an impact that can make, not just on our own lives, but on our church and not just on our church, but in our community as well. And so I'm really super excited about this series of 40 Days in the Word. I'm super excited that it's not just happened on Sunday mornings. It's going to happen on Wednesday nights. It's not just happened on Wednesday nights. It was going to happen every day. And you can join in on Facebook. And I encourage you to watch the videos, make comments, uh, and and encourage one another uh, as you watch the video. And I just think that this will be a really powerful 40 Days. I want to invite you to pray with me uh, over these 40 days and just pray, hey, God, would you just show me, would you give me a a desire to be in your word? Would you just give me this ignite within me, this passion to wake up early and read your word or stay up late and read your word or take my Bible with me and read it at lunch? But would you just give me this desire to be in the word? And Lord, I don't want to just be in the Word and just read it and check off a box and say, "Hey, I read that." But Lord, I want to—I want to understand what I'm reading. I want to know what I'm reading, and I want to be able to apply that to my life. Would you just give me that passion and see if God doesn't change your world through His Word? And so I, I was thinking about this week. It's been a really—it's been a really great week. And uh, at the beginning of the week, I got a couple of really exciting emails. And, uh, and I want to share with you, and, and I, don't, I just want you to know that I don't think that as a church that we're going to have to worry about finances moving forward. Like Nathan's back there and his head just stuck up. He's like, I'm listening. I'm all in. And, uh, and, and so uh, I got this email, and uh, I got this email from this Christian widow in Nigeria uh, whose husband was a doctor, and, uh, and she worked for an embassy, and she said in her email that uh, she wants to give several million dollars. To a Christian organization because, well, she's dying, and she has no children, and, she, and she's a widow, and she thought of us at Warehouse Church, and I thought, man, Warehouse Church is like getting out there. I mean, we're known in Nigeria, and, uh, and so she heard about us, and, and she wants to share with us uh, some of her uh, resources, some of her riches, and, and, and all we have to do is get a lawyer that she gave us the contact to, and, and it may cost us a few thousand dollars, Nathan, up front, just a couple thousand dollars, but in the back end, uh, we're gonna receive a ton of money. It's gonna be worth a ton, and, uh, and so I'm so excited about that. And if that wasn't enough, I got another email uh, shortly after that on Tuesday, and it, re- and, and it was from Google. And Google's doing some email testing, and so they're paying people to do some email testing, and they said that uh, they're gonna write me a check for every person that I forward this email to, they're gonna write me a check. And, uh, and they're going to give me some money. And I just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to tie that money also to the church. And, uh, and, so, and, and here's the cool thing is that if my friends forward it, guess what? They're, they're, I'm going to get money off of that too. And so it's going to be a good deal. And I thought, isn't that awesome, right? Like we're going to have so much money. We're going to be able to do so much ministry here in eastern Kentucky. And, and I, I, aren't you excited about that? Like I would be clapping. I mean, aren't you? All right. Some of you are excited. That's good. And, uh, and I bet, though, some of you are thinking, Rick, <laughs> Rick, Rick. Like some of you are like, you cannot believe everything you read. Don't you know that that's a hoax, right? Like that's a like nobody in Nigeria ever heard of you. There's no widow in Nigeria, and and you might be thinking, uh, you might be thinking that they're not going to give you millions of dollars, and uh, there's not going to be any checks from Google. Like it's all a scam, and you might be thinking, not everything you read. Come on, Pastor Rick, you're smarter than that. Not everything you read on the internet is true. And if you're saying that, I'm like, I know you're right. Like, I know that. And I didn't really get any emails this week from Nigeria or Google. But if we can't believe, if we can't believe everything we read, how do we know? How do we know that we can trust that the Bible is true? Like, if we can't believe everything that we read, how do we know that this book and whatever, everything that it contains is absolutely true? true i mean this book is one of the most read books in all of history it continues to be the best-selling book of all time and it is the most translated word in all of the world but how do we know like how do we know that we know that we know that what it says is true how do we know How do we know that we can trust it to be true? I want to share a scripture with you this morning. We're just going to read one. We're going to hang out here. It's 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 together. And I'm going to read it to you from the ESV translation. And and, and so just read along with me if you'd like to. Um, And here's what it says. It says, all scripture, all scripture. Everybody say "All." all. All. All means what? All, it means everything. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want you to think about this scripture because it starts off right away. Paul is sharing with his protege, young Timothy, and he's saying, listen, Timothy, all scripture, every bit of it, all scripture is breathed out by God. And the Bible, he's saying the Bible is the very breath. Of God, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that gets me excited that it's not just a good idea, right? Like it's not just nice words. It's not just some abstract philosophical thought, but it is God's word breathed out to you and to me. And as a result of that, Psalms 119 verses 86 tells us that all of your commands can be trusted. Why? Because all Scripture is breathed out by God and I thought man that's great right it's great that the Bible tells us that we can trust it to be true like it declares that it can be true but but how do we really know like, it still comes back to the question, how do, we, how do we really know? That's great, Pastor Rick. The Bible says that the Bible's true, but how can we trust it? Like, how do we know that this is actually the Word of God, and that it's not just a book of fables and made-up stories? Like, how do we know that it's true? And I think that's a very valid question for many of us, that many of us have asked. And, and so this morning, I want to look at four ways. There's a lot more, but I want to look at just four ways that we can trust that the Bible's true. And, and so the first one is this, is that the Bible, it's historically accurate. It's historically accurate. For that reason, I know that I can trust the Bible. For me personally, uh, it's true history. It's real people in real places in real time. The Bible is primarily eyewitness accounts of what's going on, and that's what makes it good history because it's eyewitness accounts. And so Moses was there when the Red Sea was split. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell down. The disciples were there sitting at the feet of Jesus in the upper room when the resur- when he appeared to them resurrected. And, and they wrote down what happened because it's historically accurate. But how do we know that? Like how do we know that it is accurate after all of these thousands of years? Like you might be like, Well, that happened a long time ago. Like, how do we know that what happened over the years is accurate? Like, aren't just manuscripts just handwritten copies of handwritten copies of handwritten copies? I mean, can't there be mistakes in those copies? And so let me just share with you. Let me just tell you that there was great care and taken and copying the Bible, that the Old Testament scribes, that they took their jobs like very seriously, like life and death serious. it was like uh, the first original Xerox copy machine. Uh, every word had to be exact and, and so they were there were tons of rules that these scribes had to follow. It wasn't just like, hey, you want to be a scribe? I think I'll be a scribe. All right, well, here you go, copy this down. And then they would just begin to copy. Like there were rules that had to be followed to make sure that it was exact. They had to copy, check this out, they had to copy letter by letter rather than word by word. And they knew, they knew how many letter, uh, how many of each letter was in each book that they were copying. And so they would know that there was like 1,653 A's In this book, and if they had 1,654 A's in the copy of that book, then they would throw it out, and they would start over. I mean, imagine that scribe that made made an O into an A, and he got caught, he got busted, and he's like, man, all that hard work, they would just rip it up and throw it away and start all over. That's how serious they were about copying these manuscripts. And so you might be thinking, okay, so they made them as accurate as they could. And you might be thinking, but, but I don't care how many safeguards you have. Mistakes are still going to be made. And, 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 and there, there's a lot of ways that we can see just how accurate these manuscripts were. And I think one of the most prominent ways is by looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls. That if you go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls, these were written about 100 years before Jesus. And, and, and they have in them copies of every book in the Old Testament except for Esther. And, and when they found these scrolls, the earliest copies we had before that was about 900 years after Jesus' death. So you have this 1,000-year gap between the Dead Sea Scrolls and the last transcripts or, or manuscripts that we knew. And, and so with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, That was an exciting find because we could check out how much change or how many errors had happened over those thousand years from a manuscript that was written 100 years before Jesus' death to a manuscript that was written 900 years after Jesus' death. And you you know how much there was? Do you know how much difference there was? There was about a 5% difference. And much of the difference was a change in spelling of, of words or spelling of names, and so over a 1,000 years, hundreds upon hundreds of copies, only 90, about 95% of them were exactly the same. And I'm thinking, that's pretty darn accurate, right? Like 95% is a pretty good number. And, and archaeologists even helps us to prove accuracy, or archaeology. You look at archaeology, and it proves again and again that the places... And the people that the Bible talks about are true. Like you can actually go to these places and physically touch these places that the Bible talks about. People have dug up and discovered uh, places in the Bible like Herod's Temple. They found Herod's Temple or they've, they've dug up the Pool of Siloam, which is where the blind man was healed. And so you can actually go and physically touch these places. So, so I would argue with you that the number one reason that you can trust the Bible to be true is it his, it's historically an accurate book but there's more. Another reason that we can trust it to be true is that it's prophetically accurate. It's prophetically accurate. Now, what does that mean? It means that the predictions in the Bible came true, that the predictions that the prophets made, the predictions in the Old Testament came true, and the Bible is filled with literally thousands of prophecies where God says, hey, this is gonna happen, and in such and such a time, in such and such a way, and over the centuries, thousands of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. And every one of them exactly as God said it would happen. And some of them are still yet to be filled. For example, there are 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus. And up to a 1,000 years before he was born, these prophecies happen. Stuff about when he'll be born, stuff about where he'll be born, stuff about uh, uh, how he'll be born, and even predictions about his death were found there. And what are the odds? I don't know if you're a math kind of guy, but like James is, but but I don't know, what are the odds of me making 300 predictions about you and every one of them coming true? Like, those are slim odds. The odds are so ghastly that... You couldn't even write the number down. Like, they don't even write the number down. A mathematician actually spent the time to figure out the odds. He said, I'm just going to figure out the odds of eight. Like, what are the odds of eight of these prophecies being fulfilled by Jesus? And he came up with the number that one and ten to the 17th power. So that's like 17 zeros, right, James? 17 zeros, that's a lot of zeros, right? And, and that was the odds, one and 10 to the 17th power. And, and so those are great odds. And that would be like, that would be like this. I, I, I read this somewhere and I thought I'd share it with you. It would be like taking 10 to the 17th power uh, of Girl Scout thin mint cookies. Anyone like Girl Scout thin mint cookies? A couple of you do. All right. So it would be like taking 10 to the 17th power of thin mint cookies and spreading them all across Texas. Now, somebody figured this out, and if you spread it all across Texas, that would cover the entire state of Texas about two feet deep. I mean, can you imagine that? would be like some of y'all's dreams that Texas would be covered in two feet deep of Thin Mints, Girl Scout cookies. And, and here's the odds. The odds would be that you would take one of those 10 to the 17th power Thin Mint cookies and you would lick all the chocolate off it, right? You'd lick all the chocolate off that Thin Mint cookie and then you would walk around and you would, and you would just randomly place that in a pile and you would shake up the pile of Thin Mint cookies and as you spread it around Texas... And now you've got one of the 10 to the 17th power of thin mint cookies. One of them doesn't have chocolate on it because you licked it all off. And then you would go and you would take a walk around Texas blindfolded. And you would walk around Texas blindfolded and only stopping once, only stopping once to bend over and to pick up one thin mint cookie. And the chance of you picking the one chocolate-less thin mint cookie is the same as the chance of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies in one lifetime. That's crazy. Like, that's crazy to think about. It's unthinkable. But Jesus didn't just fulfill eight, but he fulfilled all 300 prophecies in his lifetime. And so for me... The Bible is accurate because it fulfilled all of these prophecies. And Jesus himself even speaks about prophecy in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. He says, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And so the Bible is prophetically accurate. Not only is it historically accurate, but it's prophetically accurate. And a third reason that I know that I can trust the Bible is that it is thematically unified. It's thematically unified. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, It has the same theme throughout the entire Bible. It's a collection, right? It's a collection of 66 books, and everyone has the same theme from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. And now you might be thinking, well, why is that a big deal? Like, many books are the same theme. I mean, most books have the same theme running through them from beginning to end, but I want you to think about this. 66 books... Written over 1500 years by 40 different authors in three different continents in three different languages, and they didn't know each other, and the message is still the same. That's pretty impressive. And that would be like me doing this. It would be like me taking 50 pieces of paper and handing out 50 different pieces of paper to you and and saying, I want you to do this with your piece of paper. I just want you to tear that piece of paper into any shape you want to. Just go ahead and tear it in any shape you want to. and, and, And that's all I told you. And so you're out there, all 50 of you, and you're tearing your sheets of paper into different sheets of paper. And then I collected every one of those torn pieces of paper. And what would be the odds that all 50 pieces of those paper would make or form a perfect map of the United States. Like, it would be crazy. Like, you wouldn't believe it. You would think it would be some magic trick. And the odds are too crazy that if I, all I told you was to rip them into any shape, and then you rip them up, and then you bring them up here, and they make the, enti- the perfect map of the United States, you'll all be like, whoa, what just happened? But the Bible is more than that. The Bible is so much more than, it was many places, it was many people, it was many centuries, and yet it all fits perfectly together. It's perfectly unified. So it's historically accurate, it's prophetically accurate. Not only that, but it's thematically unified. And then finally, and the final reason that personally I can trust the Bible, and I hope that you can too, is this simple fact That it changes lives. Everybody say that with me? It changes lives. Nothing, nothing can change the lives of people like the Word of God. And I bet, I bet your life has been changed by it. I bet that if we sat down and we had coffee that you would, and I would say, hey, tell me some way that the Bible's changed your life. I bet many of you could come up with an example of how the Bible has changed your life. Like for me, uh, when my dad was uh, shot and killed, the Bible was the one thing that I found promises in, uh, promises that gave me hope and that promise that God made that when Jesus said, hey, I will never leave you or forsake you, and I knew that I wasn't alone in my most loneliest, moments I wasn't alone because the Bible promised me that God would never leave me or forsake me and so it changes lives and I've seen it happen with tens of tens upon tens of thousands uh, of lives that have been changed and I've seen it happen personally because I've seen how the Bible how drunks and addicts get their life clean and sober because they started reading the Bible I've seen how uh, cheaters and pornographers are healed because they started reading the Word of God. I've seen how depressed and suicidal and sick people have become whole because they started reading the Word of God. Because here's the reality. If you don't believe it, I'm sorry, but the Bible changes lives. It changes lives and if I thought you could change the world by being a politician, then I would become a politician. But I have zero faith that politicians or politics can change the world. If I believe that Apple could, uh, that buying stock in Apple could change the world, I would buy as much stock as I could in Apple. But I have zero faith that Apple can change the world. Instead, instead, I have invested a hundred percent of my life, a hundred percent of my life in loving and learning and living the word of God because I have personally seen it with my own eyes change people's lives you see the word of God changes people's lives to which if you were the church you'd say amen Amen. because it changes lives many times over Jesus put it this way in John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 he said hey He said, if you you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, listen, if you will get into the word of God, if you will learn to love it and learn it and live it, if you will abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You are truly my disciples. And he's like, hey. And here's the result. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Listen, church, I want you to be free. I want you to experience the truth of God. I want you to experience the freedom that comes with knowing the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. But listen, the stuff you watch on TV, it's not going to set you free. The stuff you read on the internet, it won't set you free. The stuff you read on Twitter, will not set you free. The only thing that will set you free is the word of God. God's word, his promises that his word, if you'll abide in it, if you'll love it, if you'll live it, if you'll learn it, it will set you free. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, what's gonna have the final authority in my life? Like, just think about that. You might wanna write that question down. What's gonna have... The final authority for my life? Is it gonna be my daily horoscope? Is it gonna be my favorite author? Is it gonna be my favorite theologian? Is it gonna be my favorite TV preacher or my favorite political analyst? Is it gonna be the things of this world or is it gonna be the Word of God? What's gonna have the final authority in my life? Am I gonna believe what God says to be true or am I not? Or am I going to listen to public opinion? Or am I going to listen to my own set of feelings? What's going to have? Who's going to have the final authority in your life? Remember what our passage said from 2 Timothy. It said these words. It said, all scripture is breathed out by God. That every word is breathed out by God. For what? For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And why is that important? He tells them, so that every man and every woman of God may be made complete. Equipped for every, every good work. You see, church, this book isn't just a book. It's the living word of God that has been given to you as an amazing gift. God breathed out every word so that we might be made complete and not just complete, but equipped to do every good work. So the evidence that we can trust the Bible as the word of God, it's pretty significant. We can trust it to be historically accurate. We can trust it to be prophetically accurate. We can trust it to be thematically unified. And most of all, it is a book that has been changing lives for thousands of years. The words in these pages, they have the potential to change your life. But you will only experience the change. You can only experience the change if you trust it, to be the authentic word of God, breathed out for God, from God, for you so that you might be made complete and so that you might be equipped for every good work. Who has the authority in your life? Do you trust the word of God to be all that it says it is? excited, I really am, about these next 40 days, because we're going to get into the Word of God, and we're going to see what God has for us, and we're going to learn how to not just read it and check off a box, I read it today, but we're going to learn how to understand it and to allow it to soak into our hearts and transform us the inside out that's exciting that's exciting and if you're here today and you don't have a Bible just let me know just email me, come up to me after worship say hey Pastor Rick, I don't have a Bible I will get you a Bible I will get one in your hands so that you can begin this amazing journey of discovering the power of the word of God would you pray with me by the God, we pray for this next forty days. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your Word. God, I pray that people, the people that are sitting here, that they would fall crazy in love with your Word, and Lord, that they would they would look forward to every chance they get to spend time reading the words that you breathed into those pages. God, they're there for a reason. God, your word is for us so that, so that we might have the fullest of lives and so that we might be equipped, Lord, for every good work. So, Father, I pray. I pray that we would kind of meet you in the middle, do our part, and grab a Bible. Maybe we need to dust it off maybe we need to go find it maybe we've forgotten where we put it father may we bring our bibles to our to the to right in front of us and lord may we get lost in the pages of how you love us May we get lost in the pages of how you promise to always be with us and how you don't just say that, but you show it time and time and time again. God, that we would get lost in your salvation and how you sent your son to die on a cross and to be risen from the dead so that we could have life. God, help us to fall in love with your word because transformation truly happens the pages between Genesis and Revelation. We love you, Lord. God, if there's someone here today who's never said yes to you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that God, your word tells us that all we have to do to receive salvation, that all we have to do to receive your forgiveness and your grace is to ask for it. It says that if we will believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that you are Lord, that we will be saved. So Lord, if there's someone in here this morning who has never experienced that, I pray that today would be the day that they would say, God, I want you to change my life. Would you come? I believe. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that I'm messed up and a sinner and I need rescued. So today, that would be be the day that you would come and rescue me. We love you, Lord. God, thank you for loving us in the many ways that you do. Thank you for your word, and thank you that it changes lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, let's stand up together, and as we close in our last song, I just wanna invite you. Our altars are open for you. Our house is your house if you're a guest. Just know that you're welcome to come and pray up at the altar area here. Um, And if you would love someone to pray with you, I'm right on the front row. Just tap me on my shoulder. I'd be honored to come and pray with you and uh, and just spend time in prayer. But let's all spend time in soaking up uh, his worship. Would you sing with us?